You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Change. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. It is said there are three certainties in life. They are death, taxes and change. If you've lived for a long time you would have noticed a lot of change since you were a teenager. You don't have to be very old to notice, in a museum for example, everyday articles that you may have once been familiar with, but that have since become obsolete. In our day-to-day living, there are changes. Interest rates vary, technology changes, health issues occur, and prices of goods and services always seem to be on the move and so on. My wife has often complained about items for sale in the supermarket. Items she once used and certain foods for her favourite recipes being no longer on the shelves. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics in the 2007-2008 report, 43% of the population of Australia had changed house at least once in the last five years. Those figures indicate that Australian citizens are very mobile and that there is a lot of change in their, that is, our lives. And within that 43%, some have moved multiple times. For example... 11% of the population had moved five times or more during those five years. Imagine being a schoolchild belonging to a family like that. No sooner would that child have made friends and become settled into a school than they would leave and have to go through the process yet again. My dear deceased mother had a childhood like that. During her primary and secondary schooling, she attended 35 different schools. It was a good thing she was clever and adaptable. Change is inevitable. It cannot be avoided. On February 17, 1999, the New York Times published an article about the seven stages of man. It's a very interesting article, and from what I've observed, it's quite accurate. Stage one is infancy. Infants are very dependent on their parents. They're very active, and learning takes place at an extremely rapid rate. Stage two is childhood. Boys generally are better at spatial and mathematical tasks, 
while girls exceed in language. Generally, at this age, boys and girls tend to play with their own sex, and growth is steady during this stage. Stage three is adolescence. Change is very noticeable at this age. In boys, the voice changes. Both sexes experience body and hormonal changes, and boys are attracted to girls and vice versa. And of course, there is the growth spurt. Stage four is young adulthood. Both young men and young women are in their prime. Young adulthood is a time when young people become independent and often form new relationships. It is usually during this time when bad habits, such as smoking and drinking, become firmly established, and lifestyle patterns are set. Stage five is middle age. Commencing at around forty years of age, men to begin begin to lose muscle mass, and lifestyle disorders begin to show. Things like heart attacks. It's during middle age that most women become menopausal, and men produce less testosterone. Stage six is called early old age. Health problems become more common. The hair turns grey, and there is a decline of strength. Fitness, and interest in sexual activity. Stage seven, the last one, is later old age. Muscular strength and bone strength decline further, and many health problems become evident. People in the later old age category are usually more frail. Less likely to take on new ideas, and have many more frequent visits to doctors and chemists to keep them going. Although I somewhat dread the later old stage of life, I am looking forward to some significant later life changes, and I'll share this about I'll share about this near the end of the program. But there is a question: Does God change? Well, let God speak for Himself. He says about Himself, "I am the Lord; I change not." And that's found in the Book of Malachi, chapter three, and verse six. Does that mean God never changes His mind? No. It means that God's nature never changes; His will for mankind never changes. Some people have the strange idea that God does not and will not ever change His mind. The experience with human beings living just prior to the worldwide flood 
shows how God was bitterly disappointed with mankind, the pinnacle of his creation. So he decided to wipe most of them out and start afresh with Noah and his family. He changed his mind. At another time, God was very angry with the Israelites and he wanted to completely wipe them out. But Moses pleaded for the people and God changed his mind and for Moses' sake let them live. The careful Bible reader will have noticed that many prophecies are conditional. That is, the outcome depends on the performance of the people. If the people obeyed God, they would be blessed. If they disobeyed, the blessings would be withdrawn. Here's an example of conditional promises, and it's from Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 24 and 25, where the Bible says, and God speaking, Therefore will I scatter them, that's the Israelites, as the stubble that passes away by the desert winds. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. The word therefore is used to show consequences. God is here saying, that the punishments that come upon the Israelites are a consequence of their own actions and disobedience. In the same verses, the word because is used. Because is another word of consequence. It comes from cause, there being cause and effect. I feel that many well-meaning Christians have failed to understand this. Some claim that the Jews scattered all around the world as they have been will all return to Israel, which will then become God's favoured nation again. Friends, it will not happen like that. The nation of Israel ceased to be God's chosen people when Jesus was crucified. And there are others, mostly Christians, who've been given the role of being God's ambassadors to spread the good news about God's love for fallen mankind. Any Jew who wants to be saved has no advantages than anyone else. Individual Jews rather than the Jewish people as a nation, can be saved. This topic's been dealt with in a previous program. If you want a guide to examine what the Bible has to say about this topic, I, re I recommend you read Romans chapter 10 and 11. In Jeremiah 13 verse 23 is this verse. Can an Ethiopian change his skin, or a leopard his spots? The verse is a metaphorical statement, 
explaining that when people get so immersed in sin, it's an almost impossibility to get out of it. It's like those hooked on drugs. Giving up is very difficult, and most drug addicts remain so until they die. And my dad used to make a joke about this verse. He would say, oh, the leopard can change his spots. He can be in this spot today and that spot tomorrow. Well, I don't know about that, but the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans in the first chapter, explains how people in the past had not remained true to their Creator but ignored God and became obsessed with their own imaginations and ideas. In verses 23 and 24, Paul writes, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds, and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, they worshipped man-made idols. If the Apostle Paul was alive today, I wonder what he would have to say about modern society. We're going to stop there and try to answer that question straight afterwards. For every drop a flower grows I believe that somewhere In the darkest night A candle glows I believe for everyone Who goes astray Someone will Just before the break, I asked the question, if the Apostle Paul was alive today, I wonder what he'd have to say about modern society. I suggest 
he would denounce the theory of evolution as a widely promoted lie that attempts to remove the knowledge of God from all people. I think he would denounce the obsession with sport as a major entertainment where there's no room for God. And no doubt he would lament that multi-thousands of people attend rock concerts instead of going to church. And probably he'd have something to say about the millions of people watching utter garbage on television where their minds are turned away from spiritual matters. Yes, dear listeners, there has been a lot of change and much of it has not been for the better. Earlier in the program today, I mentioned a change that I personally am waiting for. The patriarch Job was waiting for this change too. In the book of Job, chapter 14 and verse 14, Job states, If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. You may be aware that Job was afflicted with many significant problems. In a short space of time, he lost his ten children, he lost all of his stock and consequently his wealth. He was covered in painful sores and as bad as that may have been, those who should have been a comfort to him blamed him for all his calamities. With anguish, Job called out to God, It would have been better had I not been born. Death was on Job's mind as he struggled to deal with his problems. If only he could die. I'm fairly certain that many, even in this day and age, see death as a better alternative to living. But Job saw beyond the grave. He saw a time when the righteous dead would be changed, changed from death to life, changed from mortal to immortal, changed by God, the life-giver, and given eternal life. Of course, there are many people today who are suffering because of incurable, painful diseases, who only wished they too could curl up and die. Now, although Job had similar feelings, he was aware of what God has promised to the faithful, and he was waiting for it. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul expands and explains about the same issue. Reading from verse 51, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, 
and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. What happens when you die is a big mystery for most people. Here, Paul unravels the mystery. He says that a time is coming when the righteous dead will be raised, and when they are raised, they will be no longer subject to decay and or death. But when is that time? Well, it says in the verse, when the trumpet shall sound. But whose trumpet? And when will it sound? In First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul also writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet, the last trumpet, will announce the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus descends from heaven to take all the saints back to heaven with him. At that moment, the saints will be given immortality and not before. And then those who have died in the Lord and those who are still living who love the Lord will be taken together to heaven. And so they shall be with the Lord forever. Unfortunately, I use the third person pronoun they instead of the first person pronoun we. What I should have said was, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. <laughs> yes, friends, that's the change I'm eagerly looking forward to. What a privilege lies ahead for us if we're faithful, not just to be with the Lord for a moment, but to be in his company forever. I've said something on this in a previous program, and it's this. What God has planned for the redeemed saints is way beyond our imagination. 1 Corinthians 2.9 explains and says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Eternity will be filled with wonder and joy. But I think that the most wonderful thing will to be in the physical presence of Jesus, the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. The popular teaching about a secret rapture is a false teaching, that the righteous will suddenly vanish and be whisked away up to paradise 
in dribs and drabs. It is as false as the teaching that at death people immediately go to heaven or hell or purgatory. No, the Bible says Jesus is coming in person, will raise those who have slept in death, and the living saints will rise up in the air to meet their Lord. Then, as one glorious host, he will take us back to heaven. That's the rapture. In heaven, Jesus will present us to God the Father and say, Father, here are those for whom I gave my life. Oh, my friends, if you won $10 million in the lotto, that might be nice. But it is nothing in comparison to what God has planned for you. God has played his part. You, personally, have to accept God's offer to ask for forgiveness for your sins in the name of Jesus because Jesus was the one who took the sentence of your death that you may have life. The change I look forward to is that change when Jesus comes again and bestows on me incorruption and immortality and that's a change worth having. But the question is, are you looking forward to that change as well? It's time to stop. God bless you, my friends, as you make your decision to serve and honour the Lord in your life. So until next time, this is Len signing off and wishing you that blessed hope and peace and joy.